Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. There are many Jonas in the world. And today, as we look at the book of Jonah and we look at the Jonah, and as we celebrate Mother's Day today, be mindful that there are many mothers who have a Jonah in their life who are running away from the Lord. So make sure today that you do honor the mothers in your life, all the different mothers, your daughters and your spouse and your mother-in-law and the many different mothers that you know, honor them today. But keep in mind that there are mothers and fathers who have wayward children who are acting like Jonah that we'll see today. We all act like Jonah, but some are Jonah's and they've never turned and trusted in Jesus. So be mindful that that is a pain that many mothers face today. So be praying for those in our church body that that you know their children haven't turned to trust in Jesus. We're in the book of Jonah today, continuing our series that we started last week, which we've titled Relentless Grace. And that's what we're going to see um, in the book of Jonah as we look at it over the next few weeks. Uh, Before we begin, let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love. It is so staggering that you would love us the same way and with the same love that you love your son, Jesus. It is amazing. And God, so many times our feelings and our thoughts betray us, but we know from your word that you love us greatly and your love comes around us and surrounds us like a hurricane. And we thank you for that. God, we are all Jonas. There are many times in our lives that we run far away from you and yet your relentless grace hunts us down, brings us back to you. And by your grace, you open our eyes to see the beauty of Jesus Christ and living for him. Do that in our hearts even this morning for your glory and by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name, amen. The title to this sermon comes from a song by the Almond Brothers, but that's not where I first heard the phrase, the high cost of low living. I actually heard it from one of my best friends from seminary, Ross, He used to say this all the time. He worked uh, nights for the Dallas Morning News, and he would work long hours. We would meet usually at Starbucks at 5 a.m. and drink a lot of coffee, and we'd cram for Hebrew vocabulary quizzes. And by the time we made it to our 7.30 class, Ross was exhausted. And we would sit down, and somebody might say, Hey, Ross, how you doing today? And he would say, I'm paying the high cost of low living. It was true. Like most seminary students, Ross was burning the candle at both ends and at several places in between. In fact, a few weeks before his graduation, he got some disturbing news from his doctor who told him that he was in the worst shape of his life. And it wasn't from lack of exercise. It was the seminary lifestyle. The seminary lifestyle of Starbucks, Ramen noodles, macaroni and cheese, stress, work, Hebrew, stress, Greek, Starbucks, lack of sleep, 
working in a, doing ministry in a local church, family, having babies, Starbucks, all of these things make up the seminary lifestyle. In fact, I used to help Ross out many times because I worked at Starbucks. I would make him a drink called the Mark of the Beast to help get him through his day. Six shots of espresso, six ounces of milk, and six pumps of whatever flavor that he wanted that day. The Mark of the Beast. Well, it eventually caught up to Ross because he called me one day a few weeks before his vacation and said, let's meet at Starbucks. And he set me down and I thought personally he was going to tell me he found a new uh, a pastoring position, that he's graduating from seminary. He's found a ministry position. I was excited. I sat down and he said, I'm dying. I said, what do you mean you're dying? He said, I, I'm literally dying. I said, what do you mean? He said, I went to the doctor. I haven't felt good for several months and went to the doctor, and he said that I'm suffering from severe fatigue and sleep deprivation. Then he asked me, how many drinks of alcohol do you have a night or a day? And he said, I don't drink any. I'm in seminary. And then the doctor told him, then you have non-alcoholic cirrhosis of the liver because of the seminary lifestyle of sleep deprivation, severe fatigue. The doctor went on to tell him, Ross, this kind of lifestyle kills laboratory rats. So we do experiments on rats and we deprive them of sleep and feed them a, a, a terrible diet and it actually kills rats. And he said, Ross, if you don't change your life, you are going to die. And it took him a year to get back to feeling normal. He was really paying the high cost of low living. And that's exactly what we'll see with Jonah today. Jonah is on the run from the Lord. When you see the, the word Lord there in all capital letters, it's, it's the translators letting you know that this, this is the Hebrew name of God, the covenant name of God, Yahweh. Yahweh is chasing Jonah down because Jonah is on the run from Yahweh because he did not want to preach the gospel to the wicked Ninevites. He does not want to do what God has asked him to do. Jonah does not want to do what his Lord has asked him to do. Jonah reminds me of myself and all of you because there are so many times in our lives when we don't want to do the thing that we know God is calling us to do. And when we try to run from the Lord, we will inevitably end up paying the high cost of low living. Our big idea today is this, it never pays to stray. It never pays off for any person to stray and to run away from the Lord. Jonah will teach us that it never pays to stray from Yahweh. Oh, sure, we sin, we run from him, it often feels good. Sometimes we experience peace, but it is a false peace. It is not a gospel peace. We will see that with Jonah. It never pays to stray from the Lord. But God loves us too much to let us continue running from him. He is relentless. He will chase his people down. He will do and use whatever means necessary to get our attention. For Jonah, it was the sea. 
It was the wind, it was a fish, it was a worm, it was a plant, it was the sun. God will use whatever means necessary to arrest our attention so that we recognize his sovereignty and his grace over our lives. He's that kind of God, a God of relentless grace. And Jonah is about to learn that lesson. Old Testament scholar Alec Motier says, The Lord will not leave us until he has done what he has said to us. This puts the emphasis where it belongs. There is a sovereign God who controls all things. All powers and means are at his disposal, but his awesome, irresistible power is his love at work with even destructive capacity directed to constructive ends. Through the book of Jonah, we will meet this God, the God of relentless grace, the God that may even use a destructive capacity so that constructively he would restore us back to him. Look at verses 1 through 3 with me. And now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah gets the word of the Lord and he takes off. Why does he do that? We saw last week, if you were here, that Jonah wanted to rule his life. Jonah wanted control of his life. He was not letting the sovereign word of God, which had just come to him, he was not letting that word rule and dominate his life. So Jonah took off running. He did not want to preach to the Ninevites because the Ninevites were Assyrians and Assyrians were wicked and and cruel and gruesome and grisly. Their, Their warfare tactics, as we saw last week, were they would capture their enemies, cut off their heads, cut off arms and hands, gouge out eyes, cut off ears, make piles of heads into a tower. They would hang decapitated heads in the trees around them. These people were wicked. And when God says, Jonah, I want you to go preach a message of relentless grace to these people, Jonah says, no way. I will have nothing to do with that because I don't like them. So Jonah took off running. He was correct to start running immediately when he heard God's word, but the direction that he went was wrong. The Hebrew here for the words arise, go, the Hebrew words kum lake carries this sense of excitement or urgency. It could be worded this way. Get up and get going. Go at once. Go immediately. Get up and get out of here. The problem with Jonah is not that he got up and got going. The problem with Jonah is that he got up and got going in the wrong direction. He headed west to Tarshish instead of going northeast to Nineveh. The text says that Nineveh was a great city. It was an important city. You could get anything that you wanted in Nineveh. There were plenty of Starbucks. There's like a Starbucks on every corner. It was a strategic city in Assyria. And Yahweh comes to Jonah and says, I want you to preach the gospel, the good news to Nineveh. 
I say it's good news because if God just wanted to wipe out Nineveh, he could have done that. He could have just said, I'm going to wipe them out and not even give them a warning. It was grace that God sent Jonah to preach. The announcement to Nineveh of impending judgment was grace. It was good news. It was gospel. Grace gave the warning to Nineveh. Understand this. The book of Jonah is about the grace of God. It is not about a man, a fish, a city, a plant. Those are all parts to the story. But the main character of the story of Jonah is God. It's all about the God of relentless grace. In fact, the grace of God bookends Jonah. In Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, Yahweh tells Jonah to go preach the gospel to Nineveh. That's grace. And in chapter 4, verse 11, Yahweh tells Jonah that he cares for Nineveh. That's grace. The book begins with Yahweh the Sovereign Lord speaking about His grace and mercy, and it ends with Yahweh the Sovereign Lord speaking about His grace and mercy. The Lord gets the first and last word in this book because it's all about Him. Yahweh mercifully sent Jonah to preach grace to Nineveh because they were a wicked people that desperately needed gospel transformation. And so Jonah was to go to Nineveh and to call out against it because their evil had come up before the Lord. The word evil is scattered throughout the book of Jonah. Here it refers to moral or ethical behavior, that the Ninevites were a wicked and evil people. It refers elsewhere in Jonah uh, of the storm that the Lord sends, of the judgment threatened by the Lord, of Jonah's displeasure at Yahweh uh, mercifully sparing the Ninevites. Jonah calls it evil. Jonah's physical discomfort in chapter 4, he calls evil. So scattered throughout this book, just like the word great is the word evil, but here it refers to moral or ethical behavior. The Ninevites were corrupt. As I said, they decapitated people, dismembered people as part of their warfare. They were wicked. And God tells Jonah, go preach to them because their evil, their wickedness has come up before me. It's the Hebrew word, which means in the presence of, and it's used three times in these two verses here. It says that the wickedness of the Ninevites, the Lord says, has come up before me in my presence. But then it says that Jonah, hearing this message to go preach to the Ninevites, it says that Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. And it says it two times to make a point. The point is that the Lord sees everything. Nothing escapes his view, which is why it never pays to stray because God is always watching us. You cannot run from the Lord. Nineveh stood exposed before the Lord and Jonah stood exposed even as he tried to run. Listen, Grace, you cannot outrun God or go where he is not. It seems so silly, but we do it all the time in our life, don't we? Oh, Palmer Robertson, a commentator, says this. Trying to get away from God is like trying to get away from air. In him we live and move and have our being. Surely, for the person in covenant with God, it is utter folly to try to flee from him. 
God will never let you out of his sight. He has determined to bless you and he will keep after you until he overruns you with the blessing he intends. And that's what we see in Jonah. Jonah's first response was flight. Not fly to Nineveh, flight away from it. He tells the Lord later in chapter four, verse two, why he was quick to flee. Chapter four, verse two, he says, "'O Lord, is, this, is not this what I said "'when I was yet in my country? "'That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. "'For I knew that you are a gracious God "'and merciful, slow to anger, "'and abounding in steadfast love "'and relenting from disaster.'" Jonah said, I know what kind of God you are. And if I go preach that message to them, you're going to change their hearts. And you're not going to kill them. And I don't want you to change their hearts, God. I want you to kill them and take them out because they're our enemies. And that is why I fled from you, Lord. See, Jonah's commission from the Lord gave him, to be, uh, gave him the opportunity to be like Abraham and the Old Testament patriarchs who were to be a blessing to the nations. And Jonah said, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Jonah says, I don't want to have anything to do with being like the other prophets of the Old Testament who bring God's word to people. Jonah says, I don't like this preaching assignment. In fact, Jonah would rather have had Nahum's preaching assignment which we're going to look at after we finish the book of Jonah. Nahum, about 100 years later, preaches and prophesies to Nineveh and says, you're going down now. And Jonah says, I would rather preach that message, that you are definitely done, that they've exhausted your mercy, and you are going to wipe them out. But he didn't get that message. He was just a century and a half too early. So instead of preaching the message of repentance to the Ninevites, He ran from the Lord, or so he thought. Look again at verse 3. Notice the word but there, the contrast. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah hops in a taxi, catches a ride down to Joppa, hoping to get on a boat which will take him to Tarshish. He wants to get as far away from Nineveh and as far away from his preaching assignment as he can get. Now, scholars have debated, we don't know where Tarshish is. It's somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea, west of Jerusalem, west of Nineveh. We don't know where it is, but we do know one thing. It was in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Jonah is beginning his descent into low living. The Hebrew text highlights this for us. It highlights Jonah's downward spiral. In verse 3a, it says, he went down to Joppa. Verse 3b, he went on board. Verse 5, Jonah had gone down. The Hebrew word yarad here, used three times in these verses to stress that Jonah is on this downward descent into low living. He went down to Joppa. He went down to the boat. He went down into the bottom of the boat. Of course, Jonah would not have said that his life was going downhill. Jonah would not have said that his life was going south, but it was. If you would have asked Jonah, he he would have said, I think things are looking up, actually. 
Why? Because one, he finds a ship right away. In the ancient Near East, it was hard to find a ship that was going out to sea. It wasn't like today you can get on Priceline or Orbitz and you've got so many airports to leave from, so many times, so many uh, planes, different companies to choose from. It wasn't like this in the ancient Near East. So the fact that he finds a ship that's going to Tarshish, he's like, hey, things are looking up for me. Also, he found a ship with an open cabin that had an extra room for him. Then it was the season for sailing. So all of this is happening, and Jonah says, things are looking up. See, in the ancient Near East, you only went sailing when it was the right season. If it was the stormy season, you didn't go out. Because what happens if you go out on a boat in the Mediterranean Sea when it's the stormy season? You don't come back alive. You are fish food. And so all of these things are lining up for Jonah. It's like, hey, things are looking up for me. It appears that Jonah's escape plan is working. But secondly... Notice that he paid the fare. It would have been costly for him to take this kind of voyage. He was, he was in the ministry. He's a preacher. He wasn't rolling in the, in the dough here. But yet he's able to pay the fare. And I think because he was able to pay an expensive fare, I think Jonah probably sold a lot of his belongings. He is so desperate to get away from preaching to Nineveh that he sells everything he has and says, I'm going to spend all my money to get on a boat to get me as far away from Nineveh as I can go. It's as if everything is falling into Jonah's lap. Disobeying God never seemed easier. But we need to let Jonah's life sound a warning to us. That just because circumstances appear to be going your way, you may not be in the will of God. Sometimes when everything is going right, we assume that God's hand is in it. Everything may be going right according to you, but according to God and according to his word, it is wrong. I know of people who know it's wrong to continue living in a particular lifestyle or in a particular relationship or some other situation in their life, and they know it's wrong. And they would tell you, I'm a Christian. I know this is wrong, but I think God's hand is in this. And they would tell you, hey, my quiet times have never been better. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I've left my wife and kids. I'm with a new woman and it's wrong. But I tell you what, my quiet times have never, ever been better. God is showing me things from his word, a sweet fellowship with him. Be very careful. You need God's word to guide you and not your feelings or your circumstances. See, when we run from the Lord and we get comfortable with the sin that we know we need to hate and fight and forsake, and we look around and it appears that everything else is lining up in our life, we are so tempted to think, God must be in this. And Jonah sounds a warning and says, you can have peace in your life and be running from the Lord. Be very careful to put your stock in your feelings. For Jonah, it seemed like everything was working out. But that's the deceptive nature of sin. The writer of Hebrews says, Be careful that your heart doesn't get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin deceives us, and it hardens our hearts. 
And then we begin to see what we want, which is contrary to God's word, and we will justify the way we live in order to get it. And that's why it never pays to stray. Even though things appear to be looking up for Jonah, he is actually on a downward spiral. Remember, he is fleeing the presence of Yahweh, fleeing the presence of the Lord, the Lord who sees everything. So it was a futile attempt by Jonah to run, but God was about to intervene. The Lord's relentless grace was about to invade the life of this runaway prophet, and God was about to grab him by the scruff of the neck and get his attention again. Look at verses 4 through 6. But... The Lord, Yahweh, hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the sheep, sheep, inner part of the ship, and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. For Jonah, it's smooth sailing at this point because the narrator fast forwards us into Jonah's cruise, but we've come to find out that it's not actually smooth sailing for Jonah. The narrator shows us this because he switches the word order in Hebrew here. Normally in Hebrew, the verb starts the sentence and then you get the subject. In Hebrew here, he switches it and says, but Yahweh hurled, emphasizing the counteraction of the Lord here, the subject of the sentence. The author is trying to get a point across to us. Jonah has not escaped the Lord. In fact, he rearranges Hebrew grammar. He breaks all the rules and says, I must stick Yahweh at the front of the sentence because he is active right now. As Jonah is on the run with a target on his back, as he is asleep in the bottom of the boat, the sovereign Lord of the universe is not asleep and sees him. Jonah has a target on his back. That's what the Hebrew word suggests when it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. The word hurled here is used in other places in the Old Testament of people throwing spears at people. In 1 Samuel 18, when King Saul is jealous of David and it says that he wants to throw a spear to go through David and pin him to the wall, thus killing him. That's the word hurled that's used here. Jonah has a target on his back, and the Lord has just hurled a great wind on the sea to get Jonah's attention. That is grace. That is relentless grace. And so God hurls this great wind, so there's this mighty storm at the sea or a mighty tempest, as the text says, and the boat's about to break apart. And the pagan sailors start crying out to their gods, and they start throwing all their cargo overboard, hoping that the boat will stay afloat. You've got to picture it this way, because as a child, I kind of pictured them, you know, it's just kind of, you know, moseying along there. You've got to picture, have you seen the, the TV show, The Deadliest Catch?, these, you know, Alaskan crab fishermen, you know, and water's just almost consuming. You've got to picture it that way with, with the wind blowing and howling and rain and lightning and thunder. And this boat is just hitting the waves and it's about to crumble. And these pagan sk- sailors are scared to, to death 
Three times it says they're afraid. They are calling out to their God. Two insights into the Hebrew language here that'll help our picture here. Verse four says, the the ship threatened to break up. The ship is personified here. The ship is its own character in the story here. In Hebrew, literally, it's the ship seriously considered breaking apart. Or the ship thought about breaking the part. It's like the ship is a character. It's like the ship is, is being hammered by these waves and the ship says to itself, I think it's time to just break apart. On top of that, there's this word play in Hebrew with the phrase, the ship threatened to break up. These, the words here sound like waves smashing up against the side of the boat. The Hebrew here is hishabah la hishaber, hishabah la hishaber. You kind of picture the, the waves slamming up against this boat and the boat is personified and saying, it's time to break apart. So we have this chaotic storm at sea. The sailors are scared out of their wits. They're praying to their gods. The boat is thinking about breaking apart. And where's Jonah? Down in the bottom of the boat, fast asleep. It's almost hilarious. The man who is on the run from God is sawing logs, dreaming about drinking an ice latte in in Tarshish at Starbucks. He's out. He's in a deep sleep. In fact, it's the same Hebrew word that's used in Genesis when it says that the Lord put Adam to sleep in order to take a rib from his side to make Eve. It's the same word. I mean, Jonah is out and there's this chaotic storm going. You can hear the creaking of, of the wood of the boat. The boat's about to break up. These men are screaming, throwing their cargo over, crying out to their gods, and there's Jonah. You almost hear like a little nursery rhyme playing. He's out. And sometime in the midst of this chaos, the, the captain of the boat comes down to the middle of the boat, down, down deck, below deck, <clears throat> and he sees Jonah. And he says, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. It's such irony here. Jonah, the prophet of the gracious Lord, was supposed to announce amnesty to wicked Nineveh. And yet now a pagan sailor calls on Jonah to cry out to his God in the hopes that they may not perish. In fact, he says, the Hebrew word that the Lord said to Jonah, Kum Lake, get up, arise, get going. A little ironic that Jonah responds to the pagan captain's words to get up and get going, and he doesn't respond to the Lord. But this is God's subtlety at work here. Yahweh was reminding a drowsy, runaway prophet once again that he was gracious. Yes, Jonah's God could hear Jonah's prayer. That's what the captain asked him. Get up and call out to your God. Maybe your God will hear us and save us. So yes, Jonah's God could hear Jonah's prayer. Yes, Jonah's God could spare the pagan sailors, just like he planned to do with pagan Nineveh. But Jonah was disobedient. And now Jonah dragged these innocent pagan sailors into his situation. When I say they're innocent, I don't mean that they're not sinners. They were born Sinners like every single person 
born into this world. I just mean they're innocent in that they didn't ask for this. They didn't ask for a man to come on their ship so that the ship's about to break apart. They have to throw all their cargo and treasures overseas. They're scared to death and they're thinking, we're about to die and become fish food. They didn't ask for that. So in that sense, they were innocent. There are two lessons we can learn about sin from Jonah's life here. One is peace. You can have peace when you are on the run from the Lord. You can still have peace in your life when you're on the run from the Lord. Oh, it isn't true gospel peace, okay? Don't think it's real peace. But you can sleep like Jonah when you're in disobedience to the Lord, living in defiance of him. See, Jonah was at rest. He was sawing logs because he was bound for Tarshish and the Israelites would be safe from Assyria because in Jonah's mind, if I don't go preach the gospel to these people, God's going to wipe them out and that's just one more of Israel's enemies destroyed. So he's like, you know what? This is awesome. I'm asleep in a boat. My life is looking up and now I have the hope that God's going to destroy these wicked people. It was just a matter of time according to Jonah before Israel's enemy would be destroyed. But listen, be very careful if things are going well in your life and you know that you are running from the Lord. Just because you have peace and everything seems fine, you may not be experiencing the Lord's blessing. I know of people who would clearly tell you that they are disobeying God and yet they feel that God is blessing them. They would say, yeah, I know this is wrong according to his word, but He's blessing me, and my quiet times have never been better. Oh, be careful of being deceived by sin like this. Let me ask you today, where in your life are you on the run from the Lord, and you know the good that you ought to do, but you're running from him? And you may even have peace. You may, you may even think about it. You may sleep easy at night. Where in your life are you running from the Lord that you know He's, he's pulling on at you. He's, he's tugging at your neck and saying, come back, child. You can have peace and be on the run from the Lord, but it's not gospel peace. Second lesson we can learn about sin here has to do with people. When you are on the run from the Lord and openly living opposite of his very clear word, you will drag other people down with you. See, Jonah's sin was private. Nobody on that ship knew what was happening in Jonah's life. He didn't get on that ship and say, guess what? I'm running from my God. He controls everything. He's probably going to get me and get you with me. Can I buy a ticket? His sin was private. Nobody knew about it. Nobody knew that he was running from his preaching assignment. He alone knew the sin in his life. It was very privatized, but it was having a huge impact on the people in his life. The sailors suffered deeply for Jonah's sin. Loss of their cargo and their treasures. The ship suffered serious damage and was about to break up. They experienced severe fear because they thought they were going to die. Jonah had the opportunity to pronounce peace and be a blessing to the people of Nineveh, and yet his sin became a curse for the few innocent pagan sailors on that boat. See, I know someone 
who was involved in an adulterous relationship. And it destroyed the innocent people in their life. His kids didn't ask for it at all. I don't mean innocent that they're not born sinners. I mean, they didn't ask for this. And his wife didn't ask for it. And his co-workers of, of his business, he had a big business, people losing their jobs because his life was fine. They didn't ask for this. See, we have, must be very careful of the sin in our life, whatever it is. Nobody knows about it but us, but God knows. And it begins to have a ripple effect out to the people in our life. Understand this, Grace. You will invariably bring trouble and ruin to the people in your life if you are living contrary to the will of God. Get the point of Jonah today. It never pays to stray. As we will see next week, Jonah will never make it to Tarshish. He paid the fare, but he never made it to his destination. He forked out the cash for this, and he never made it. Donald Gray Barnhouse, a famous preacher, said, it is always that way. When you run from the Lord, you never get to where you are going, and you always pay your own fare. On the other hand, when you go the Lord's way, You always get to where you are going, and he pays the fare. Listen, we're all like Jonah, aren't we? They're all places in our heart, places and relationships in our life that, you know, we're running from the Lord at any moment. This book is about a God of relentless grace who loves us so much, he will not leave us. He will hunt us down. We're all born runners, We're all born sinners because of Adam's sin in the garden in Genesis 3. We have all been drastically affected by the third chapter of Genesis. We are all born sinners, running from God, living any way that we want to, even if we went to church and we were good. We're born sinners, separated from God. Could never have a relationship with him. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus. He says, I'm going to send my son. Because he's going to be able to do what you could never do. You could never be perfect. You could never not sin. And so he sent Jesus into this world. And Jesus never sinned. And Jesus never lied. And Jesus never had a bad thought. Jesus never worried. He never lusted. Nothing. He was the God-man. Fully God, fully man. And those two natures were united in one person. And he came to live the life that we could never, ever live. Thank God that Jesus came and lived a perfect place and died in our place. He paid our fare, if you will. In contrast to Jonah, Jesus delighted to do the will of the Father. Psalm 40, John 17, Philippians 2, Hebrews 12. And if you admit and confess your sin and turn and trust and believe in Jesus' life and death and resurrection, then you can experience the new birth. You can be born again. Jesus will take your disobedience and your life of running from God and living your way, and he will give you his perfect life of obedience. It's called the great exchange. He takes your sin. He gives you his righteousness, and he pays the penalty of your sin, of you turning from a holy God. 
He absorbs God's righteous anger and wrath on the cross and God raises him from the dead. That is the gospel. He goes there for you because you ran from him and I ran from him. And if you turn and you admit that and you say, God, forgive me, I believe in Jesus, I trust in his life, death, and resurrection, then you can stand blameless in God's eyes. You can leave here today saying, even though I used to run from God, God now sees me as if I completely obeyed every word of his. Christian, you've already repented and turned. God sees you as blameless in his eyes right now. You, you, you ran from him. I ran from him. We run from him all the time. But because of Jesus, Christian, God doesn't see you as a runner. He sees you as he sees his son and loves you with the same love that he loves his son, Jesus. That is amazing. That is the gospel. And I hope when you hear that, it makes you think, I don't want to run from him anymore. He's so good. See, it never pays to stray. But thank God that when we do stray, there is one who paid it all. God sent Jesus to rescue us. God sent Jesus to grab us by the scruff of the neck and to turn to him and see him as the most beautiful treasure in this world. And it's beautiful because we owed a debt that we could never pay. And Jesus paid a debt that he never owed. That is the gospel. That is good news. That is grace. That is relentless grace. And that's what the book of Jonah is about. The God of relentless grace who never lets us go, but keeps hunting us down even when we may not want him to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your relentless grace. God, we we were born, as I said, we were born runners. We were born sinners. We deserve death and punishment in hell forever because we have lived opposite of what you have called us to live. But God, you sent your son into this world who delighted to do your commandments, who obeyed your word perfectly, and who went to the cross, took our blame, our shame, and you punished him that you might never punish us. And you raised him from the dead, proving the gospel story. God, would you capture our hearts again this morning? Whatever's happening in our life, that we would see Jesus as the greatest treasure, that we would be able to say, blessed is the name of the Lord because he's so good to us. Thank you, God, for grabbing us by the scruff of the neck. Open our eyes when you do that to see Jesus as the most beautiful thing in this world. Would you do it now by the power of your spirit for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.